Welcome to Emotional Intelligence. I'm Helen Duros. And I'm Danielle Doyle. This is a podcast centered on real conversations with friends, mentors, and legends who lead and share an embodied life. We sit with a variety of guests to unpack how a cultivated relationship with the body informs their work and transforms their lives. Thanks for joining us in conversation and movement. Hi guys. So in today's episode of Emotional Intelligence, I almost forgot what our podcast was called. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I actually thought you were going to say a different podcast <laughs> name. <laughs> in our podcast today, which has a name and it's Emotional Intelligence, uh, we interviewed our friend Ryan Cunningham and they are an incredible yoga teacher. Um, they've been teaching in the Boston yoga scene for years. We dove a lot into what the Boston yoga scene looks like, how their practice has evolved and their teaching has evolved. What the future of the yoga industry looks like and just coming back to uh, the reality of an embodiment practice in a pandemic. And and hopefully what that looks like in a post-pandemic world. Um, And I will say, since recording the episode, I got body work for mine last week and they are incredible. Um so different from the work that I do and different work that I've I've received before. So if you are in the Boston area, definitely check out Ryan, Ryan in Cunningham. person. Um, their website is ryanyoga.com. We'll put yes. it in the show notes. But um, I just always feel really lucky to, to know and be able to work with Ryan and receive work from Ryan. And so lucky we got to chat with Ryan. They are an eloquent speaker and just such a gift to every conversation. So we hope you are enjoying this as much as we are and a podcast host so if you and a podcast host also (laughs) haven't already check out unrolled um ryan cunningham and kate robinson's super fun uh yoga podcast long time yoga podcast check that out and enjoy today's episode okay we're on the record cool (laughs) but hey ryan (laughs) fully 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 editably on the record (laughs) sure sure um Hi. Hi, great to see you. <laughs> it's good to see you. Um we you know, if if you've listened to Kate and I, um we don't we don't believe in formality. We just sort of Same <laughs> thing. Hit, hit record and uh hope for the best and sometimes it's uh uh crash and burn and sometimes it's gold. So Yeah. And how That's long how long have you guys been doing Unrolled now? Um I guess it would have been like September of 2015. Wow. Oh, wow. Nice run. Yeah. Um, and uh, it, it was, it was definitely like a bit of a weird start. Like we had recorded the first episode and then our boss at the time heard it and like freaked out on us for recording <laughs> it. Cause I think she thought it was like a video, like in the studio, like it didn't like, quite understand what what it was um and then and i was like okay i'll take it down we'll have a conversation about this and figure out like a way to do this that everyone can be happy with and then like two weeks later she sold the studio and so like in the meeting where where they announced that yoga works was buying the studio i'm like on my phone like reposting the first (laughs) (laughs) wait was that that long ago 2016 2015, yeah. 2015? 
Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. That to a degree too was before podcasts gained as much traction as they have now. Yeah. Like in the last couple of years they've blown up, but that was kind of before the curve. Yeah. And I think I would have to look, but I I think Jay had only, Jay Brown had only put maybe his first, like first or second episode out at that, that time. And um, I had only like, gotten into um like consuming podcasts at that time through like some comedians that had had a a couple of like things and and it just felt like i was joking with kate about this that that we were we were having this discussion of like okay well we're not going to post half naked pictures of ourselves on instagram doing yoga (laughs) but that's the only way to make it in this industry (laughs) and we're not gonna like you know, do any of the sort of conventional modalities that would like promote <laughs> your career. Um, yeah. And, and then, so we were just, we just were like, let's try this. And um, we just kept hitting record. And at least every six months I say like, Oh, we're done. It's over. It's all. The-. And then, and then somehow we're con- convinced to, to start back up again but it's a, it's an interesting dynamic because every time we record i uh, if i go oh i think that was awful i don't know if we should put that out she's like no that was perfect and then she's <laughs> like oh wow what was that shit i'm like no that was a really good one so clearly we just have very different <laughs> perceptions of, of what the show is meant to be <laughs> and i think it's so like it's interesting that you're doing that tag team method that helen mm-hmm. and i are, are doing just because there's so many points, you know, we haven't even put this thing out yet. There's so many points where I'm like, this is too much work. I'm not going to do this. But like having another person to be like, no, we're doing this, you know. Um, so it just sounds like you've had that experience of being like, uh, that was not a thing. And being like, yes. oh, it's a thing. It's a good thing. Yes. And it totally takes you out of your own head to have a partner in the mission, too, because you do kind of go in the questioning spiral of what did I just say? <laughs> <laughs> At least on my end, I'm learning. Or, or just listening to your laugh is a thing we're getting used to. Oh, yeah. The listening the listening back to yourself I laugh is... so much. It's really... I've had to kind of address that with myself. <laughs> the... Uh, so, I have... I, I, like, sometimes I'm sort of numb to it that I spend so much time each week listening to the sound of my own voice. Because let's be clear... Kate has never edited or maybe even listened to Unroll. <laughs> <laughs> Not to throw anybody under the bus here, but, <laughs> um, but I inhale of this podcast. Wait, I... <laughs> wait, no, she's the Helen of this podcast. Yeah, that's what I mean. That's what I mean. Yes, <laughs> I'm the Kate. <laughs> Let's be clear. I'm the Ryan here. <laughs> um, but now, on top of that, editing new audio like I spent two hours yesterday and I've got one more to do today where I just I have to listen to the audio classes that I do and in order to like not just have to listen back to the whole thing I'll like turn it up to like three times the speed so (laughs) so it's like (laughs) just to get the like time codes and like make sure that the like sequence is written like I didn't skip anything in the sequence that I had done or not done you know just just cross-referencing and making sure there isn't any like major problems but it's 
it, it it's a lot to sit there and listen to your own voice. I don't think I'll ever get used to it, to be perfectly honest. And, and I just feel like this past year, like the, the transition from teaching online and especially now that like it's it's my project, like that I'm recording everything and putting it up and having to go back and like listen and check that the sound's okay. It's like, it's such a practice of like self-compassion and self-love where you're just like, if you just like have all that negative self-talk while you're like listening to your audio or looking at your videos or like, and you just have like terrible things to say about yourself, it's so detrimental because you just have to do it so much now. The volume of like consuming or not consuming, but just like witnessing yourself teaching, Mm -hmm. which is something like, you know, you tell teacher trainees to like record yourself teaching. It's like, I would never do that, but now I have to. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a, um, it's a very strange thing to be uh, kind of witnessing ourselves this much, whether we're teaching or whether we're on Zoom for work all day long in in other contexts. It's, it's, uh, I don't know that we, I don't know that we can fully appreciate the, like, shift that that has been. And Danielle, I don't know about you, but like the first day or two that I was back practicing bodywork in person, mm-hmm. I was like, not so much the like hands-on skill was difficult, but the like interacting mm-hmm. with other human beings. Oh God, I was like, yeah. wait, like, how do I, how do I do this? This is, it's yeah. just, I Very wanted to strange. ask you what your experience, because you're you're so fresh back into like being in the same room as bot with bodies. Like you're yes. you're maybe teaching like a handful of of small in person classes before you transitioned fully on your own. Um, no, I wasn't doing any in person in person teaching before I uh, went went back out on my own. I was I was still completely online. So the body work that's a long stretch. Yeah, the body work is the first like in, in person teaching essentially that I'm, I am doing. And it, uh, it, it's been great, but it's also been like, whoa, like socializing with other humans in a room and not only socializing, but then you're, you have your hands on them. And the first day that I went back, I had five people in a row. Oh my, oh my God. On a Saturday. <laughs> and I was doing fine. I was like, okay, this is like. It, so you just it, went from zero to 60. <laughs> yeah. Like the, the awkwardness of the like conversation was, um, was something to get over. But like once people were on the table, I was like, oh, okay. I remember how to do this. This, this makes total sense again. Um, and I was doing fine and I was meeting, uh, a friend, uh, for dinner afterwards and, I just like walked back onto Davis square and was like, what the fuck just happened to me? <laughs> like, I yeah. just, it, it had been so long. And, you know, when I was in, when I was getting my license and, and doing those long clinic days, like that oh, would be like oh totally God. normal to see that many people. Yeah. Um, in a basement, in a basement with like 40 people in the same room. Exactly. It would be totally, <laughs> totally normal. And, and it just, it, this, I think it's going to take a long while before we all readjust to whatever, um, 
whatever comes after this pandemic. And how how long, like, what's it been, like a month now since you've been back to seeing? Uh, yeah, actually, almost exactly a month. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but, you know, pre-pandemic, I would say maybe like a third of people chatted during massage, maybe a quarter. And I just feel like it's close to 100% of people talking the entire session. Really? Now. Oh, like, that's so funny. Are you getting that now? Um, no, I would say it's 50-50, but, but I could be off on that because, like, I, I'm not doing, like, your typical massage. Like, right. people are, people are clothed, like, we're moving around and, and, you know, it, the, the, there are elements that probably look more like I'm doing Thai body work just on a table. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, there's, there's, uh, I think it, it lends itself sometimes more to conversation, but, uh, I have found that it also becomes very clear, maybe clearer than before the pandemic when, um, when someone just wants to be quiet yeah and when when they want to engage in in conversation um because uh sometimes it's really helpful to chat and like narrate and like walk people through it and sometimes it's it's like no we're gonna be quiet now (laughs) we're gonna be quiet now um and uh and i am someone who i guess it kind of depends on what kind of body work i'm receiving but most of the time I want it like silent silent me too same Um, unless you're offering me like really great insights on like what the f's happening in my body like let's all just let's all just you know well and especially sometimes like uh I have found this with more um work that I guess for uh, for lack of a better term I'm gonna say uh energetic whether it be, you know, you know, mostly people who have been heavily influenced by craniosacral mm-hmm. uh, therapy and, and Hugh Milne's work particularly. But sometimes there's an urge to like na- narrate what the practitioners, the, the body workers um, experience of your field or your body and like to say almost almost like to uh have a like give a verbal like poem <laughs> of of what the of what the experience of of laying hands on on you is and to me that so gets in the way of whatever like internal experience i'm having of yeah. like you know cuz sometimes you can get you drop down in in those sessions sometimes it's like i'm not sure where they are and i think there are only one person who has their hands on me but i'm feeling yeah like (laughs) i'm feeling the echo of where the contact was previously but i'm not to the point where it blurs where where i almost can't exactly tell where the where the contact um is at the moment and you know uh if that's if the space is held well for that that's like a really can be a really cool experience if the space is not held well for that then you're sort of walking around in circles afterwards being like what the fuck just happened yeah, <laughs> to me sure uh, um that, but 
it yeah. parallels sort of uh, what can happen in a yoga class too, where the verb- verbal accompaniment is too much to process your own experience. Mm-hmm. And it almost becomes like the, you can feel the questioning of the teacher or of the practitioner and less so your own inner voice. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, and that's, that's tricky. I mean, I was speaking to someone about this yesterday that like, um, I feel like there has been a, uh, what's the word? I guess, I guess a trend, um, towards using phrases like trauma informed or, or things like that. And sometimes what that can be oversimplified to is like, don't tell anyone what to do. And like that in and of itself is not necessarily from one lens could be the worst possible thing for somebody right? because you, you've just put them in a space where they think they're supposed to be doing this thing called yoga, but you're just telling them to do whatever feels good. And like a certain type of person might respond really well to that, but especially if they haven't done much yoga before, that might just be a like, yeah, the right. lack of direction is <laughs> uber disorienting. Which is like, as an experienced practitioner, it's great. Like when you're, well, as an experienced practitioner, you don't need somebody to tell you to do what feels good. You just go, yeah. fuck you, I'm going to do this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it feels good. And and there, are, I've experienced very few teachers who are able to walk this line of being like, okay, now I'm going to talk in a very sort of linear and direct way to explain this concept. And then I'm going to create a clear container in which we can explore it that isn't mm-hmm. necessarily like do this, do this, do this, do this. And then to be able to like open the space up to be like, okay, and what did that feel like for you? And what did that feel like for you? And what did that feel like for you? Because that's just not the, the product of, of the yoga classroom anymore is is that that amount of interaction is not necessarily um, what folks think they're paying for. And maybe it isn't what they're paying for. Um, But uh, that to me, when that, when that dynamic between like, here's a pelvis, (laughs) here are distinct points on the pelvis that I would like us to be able to feel in a very like. Targeted. Yes quasi lecture sort of way now roll around on your back and use the rolling around to see what you can feel see if you can find those points and then now let's do warrior two and how does that Mm. map to warrior two like that is um that's just hard to pull off in a group i think it's hard to pull off online um, but it's, it's what's interesting to me. And it's probably why you're such a good teacher trainer, because like, that's the <laughs> kind of shit that like makes people understand their bodies in, 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 in the format where you get to explore something, teach dialogue, um, because you've been doing teacher trainings now for longer than years I and years. to admit. <laughs> well, let's go, like, we've, we've, this has been so great. I let's like dial back for a second. So what was your... How long have you been teaching yoga, Ryan? Uh, it is the year 2021. Correct. Therefore, 
four almost 14 years so you were a young wow. you were young when you did your yes. 200 i will i was teaching before i did my um okay before i did my teacher training because it was still i mean technically it's still, still that way it is still that way you do not have to do anything to become a yoga teacher <laughs> if you really you know uh, you can maybe, give you can give an, the a right teacher, crowd. You can give a yeah. school a couple thousand dollars, and you can give Yoga Alliance eighty bucks, or you cannot. <laughs> yeah, or you cannot. Comes back to choice. Uh, um, so, uh, yeah, so so it's been it's been a minute, um, and I probably started leading the trainings at Back Bay with Lynn. 20, wait, no, I can do this. 2011 was the first one. And then, so yeah, probably like 2012, maybe I was in the training that like began in the latter half of 2012, which would have been the, would have been the training that Kate did, that Kate Robinson did. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, so you know, I've seen this teacher training thing done in so many different ways. Like, I did my first trainings uh, through Om Yoga in New York. Um, uh, Were you in college then? Yes. Uh, so i I did my first training. The I took a year off after undergrad, and that's when I did my first training. And then when I came to Boston for grad school, I would. Uh, using some of my student loan money, um, <laughs> jet down to New York uh, every weekend to uh, not every weekend, but uh, like every other weekend to do the there. I can't even remember if it was called a three hundred hour or an advanced or whatever mm-hmm. it was. Um. Uh, and then, you know. I think when I got to Boston, I was already pretty, um, like in the midst of a, uh, a bit of a yoga divorce. Uh, I, I was, I was not really, um, there were great people at Om Yoga, um, mm-hmm. who are still really, really wonderful teachers. Um, particularly, uh, the two that, influenced me the most was uh joe miller uh who still teaches in new york uh he's really fantastic fantastic uh teacher and and uh anatomy um person uh and then sarah trelise who i believe is out in portland now um but i don't know how much she teaches anymore uh but it's still it just was like this can't be it (laughs) this can't this can't be it um and so then i stumbled into barbara's classroom and was like i i I don't know if this is it i don't know what the hell that was but like can i have more of that (laughs) i would like to roll around on the floor in some blankets more please thank you i'll take seconds of that um and then just started hanging out with barbara and that's where i met a bunch of sort of like-minded yoga folks um and uh ended up taking her training in the midst of doing leading the trainings at at back bay and um 
you know, still to this day, I don't know. Absent a really positive social experience for a lot of people, it's not positive for everybody, but like, I don't really know if what has transpired in the teacher training space makes good logical sense for training teachers. Um, it, it's, it's just created a lot of, it's created a lot of problems, I think. And, and a lot of revenue for studios. And a lot of revenue for studios. Um, but I tell studio owners this all the time. If you can figure out how to have a successful yoga studio without doing teacher trainings, you've won. Yes. You've won. You will survive forever. Um, you know, if you if you figured out how to do that and you own your building, you win. 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 You win. You're done. You're like you don't have to worry about anything. You won yoga. So okay. So, so so what was your? So you started doing yoga back in I can't do math. Like before, it was cool. I started doing. My high school boyfriend took me to a yoga class in in I guess that would have been two thousand and two. That's what, uh, yeah. So my mom did a yoga teacher training, I think in like 2004. And it was like, it was not like everyone and their mom was doing a yoga teacher training. It was like just my mom, you know? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I mean, I, I've said this on the, on, on roll before, but uh, it was a, it was like the second floor, like workout room in an apartment building that these two teachers had rented out it was carpeted mm-hmm. they like i any remember good yoga studio should like be. any yeah. good yoga studio should be especially I, hot ones <laughs> i very clearly remember and i don't know if this is what they did like all the time if it or if it was just like because something had broken but they had like these industrial space heaters that they had run the cables down the stairs to plug into the landscapers plugs outside, probably to avoid having to pay electricity. (laughs) I don't know if that's the case, but that's like my snarky, my snarky 16 year old mind. That's, that's where I went. Um, And, uh, and it was awful. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it was so bad. It was. I had no idea what I was doing. I was it no, was it Bikram esque? No, it was Baptiste esque. Okay. There was. Uh, it was in Cleveland, so there was like a whole contingent of people who had met the sort of like Brian Kest mm-hmm. side of things, and a whole contingent of people who had met the sort of Baron Baptiste side of things, and so and eventually it, you know those two uh, women who own that place, one of them, they broke off and one person went to open a Baptiste studio and the other person went to open the first like sort of eclectic, like multi-style um, studio in town. Because it seems like in the early 2000s, you were either doing like Iyengar or like Baptiste. On this coast, yeah, for sure. Maybe Anyasara. Maybe there was a little bit of that. There's a little of that in Boston, but still, I think that was um, that was very, it's very underground <laughs> at that point. Still, um, and, and then, I'm oh, sorry. Go ahead, Ellen. Prior to that, had you had any movement practices growing up? Nope. <laughs> you were deep in the music world, as yeah, 
Right. And did you think of that as an embodiment practice at the time or was it later on? Do do you think of that as an embodiment practice? I mean, certainly at the time I did not, I did not have any context for that. And what is your instrument? What's your medium? Uh, Woodwinds. Um, So I played saxophone, flute, clarinet. Um, I can, uh, uh, I can fake it on an oboe. Um, mm, mm. But it's, my, it's... my high school boyfriend was an oboist, <laughs> not, not bragging or anything. <laughs> um, so, but but I think looking back on it, there was something that was um, kind of uh, perhaps f- fulfilling a need for kind of embodied expression because it's like I, I mean any instrument is doing that to a certain extent but there is something like wh- whenever you're singing or you're you're putting a very focused stream of air through a very mm. small tube um there is something um where it does become become a bit of an extension uh of the body and there's no other way to approach it um uh, you know other than using your full, full body. Um, and, and then of course, uh, you know, what propelled me into a deeper exploration of embodiment practice, um, was that I just injured myself Mm. playing too much. I went from playing a couple hours a day in high school to going to a conservatory and playing, all day and being generally unhealthy, just slamming a huge mug of coffee and going in the practice room and doing too much. Pounded out some beats. Um, and, uh, and it got, it got to the point I was playing a show that first, I think I, I told this in, in the teacher training um, last summer, Helen, but I, I was playing a show like in, a, in the pit and um, you know, everything was fine. And then intermission came and I put down my instrument and went outside and, you know, just hung out for a bit while intermission was going on. And I came back in and I picked up the flute and I couldn't wrap my hands around the instrument. Oh my God. Good times. <laughs> yeah. It just went like, wow. And and so, like, I didn't really know what to do. And, uh, like, I, I probably, I mean, I don't even remember what what I did. I think I probably just left because I was so freaked out. I mean, this is, like, what I'm, you know, at that point thinking, like, this is what I'm going to do. Your career. Right, right. Um, especially because uh, um, I was really adept at playing multiple woodwind instruments and I, my teachers were sort of big in that world of like, they, they came from an era where like, you totally could go play eight shows a week uh, and in New York and live a very comfortable life and get to do your own projects on the side. And so that was like really appealing to me. And then Mm -hmm. as I started trying to figure out what the hell was going on that caused this injury, I was like, there's no way that I can, there's no way that I can do that. Like the damage has been done and like mm-hmm. absent were, were there anything anything leading up to that that caused that or it was just like you were fine you were fine you were fine and then you weren't i mean 
I have to imagine that there were signals that I was ignoring. Like that you would have been keyed into probably now, like so exactly. much. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I, I but I have to imagine that there were there were signals that I was just blatantly ignoring and then it just kind of came to um and I had to stop um I had to stop playing for a couple of months and luckily it was over the summer so like it didn't like and my teachers were very understanding and um but like from that I got introduced to all these body workers because the Mm. the PTs at the time were like here are these giant horse pills of Advil great and just do that and um uh yeah and that uh I clearly was not not gonna work um and so it it was through that that I was introduced to body workers was introduced to um yoga particularly was introduced to Bikram yoga because it's the only modality where there's no weight bearing mm-hmm. um and while I do not fare well in that heat, <laughs> it, it, you know, um, it was very, it was very useful. It, it Had was, you been doing yoga at that, like throughout? So this was in your undergrad experience? Yeah. I mean, I had been doing yoga on and off, like nothing, mm-hmm. nothing super regular. Um, yeah. uh, but it was, it was during undergrad that I started to go really regularly and started to do the realize that like oh i can just come in and sweep the fucking floor and i don't have to pay for yoga Mm. this is this is great i was like i remember being so mind blown that that was even a possibility yeah (laughs) um and i actually don't think many of those studios in chicago are still still there today i think they've sort of all gone through the Mm-hmm. the turnover but i remember the owner of wh- whatever that um i don't think it's a bikram studio anymore i think it, it it's changed hands a couple of times but uh she was so nice and like had had like a secret stash of props in her closet and so like you know old school bikram studios they didn't put the name of the teacher so you didn't know right. who you were getting it was just like there's a class at 12 there's a class at two, there's a class at four. And like, theoretically, if they're reciting a script, it doesn't so much matter. Exactly. Um, but I, I, love- I sleuthed when the owner's classes were <laughs> so that I could go <laughs> and not get yelled at and she would give me blocks to use. <laughs> you could like, you could sneak some water in. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Crack the door open. I, I mean, it's definitely you hear the wildest stories in Bikram Studios where it's like people like weren't allowed out, and so they just like vomited in the room. And <laughs> just, it's like, and like when we, you know, look at the first principle of yoga being ahimsa and nonviolence, it just does seem to be a little counterproductive. Oh, really? But but there are, you know, to every practice, there's great things. Like you get to practice yoga without putting any yeah. weight on your hands while you're recovering from an injury. Yeah, and and I actually. Some, you know, those things like you have those moments in yoga classes that like just kind of like lodge themselves in oh, your yeah. brain. And it must have been in one of the first Bikram classes that I did. But, you know, you, you grab the foot and mm-hmm. then you straighten in the standing balance. Mm-hmm. 
And you lock your knees? <laughs> you lock your knees. But I wasn't so much care because I didn't know how to lock my knees to save my life. I still don't know how to lock my knees to save my life. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> <not okay. laughs> um, but the kicking of my foot into my hands and like... Like a capital the, capital the, letter L like Linda? Yes. <laughs> the, the, the stretch and the relief that I felt from that... Mm traction like that is such a clear memory being like oh in the wrist or your hands yeah, yeah like in the falling. in the wrist oh, like yeah, the, yeah. the yeah. using i mean of course i was i was supposed to be worrying about straightening my legs which i right. wasn't doing but like i went straight to oh i just kick in just the right way <laughs> yeah. There. yeah and there is something to doing the same sequence over and over again so that you kind of get to get curious about these very specific things rather than worrying about like the sequence or, you know, you're mm-hmm. just like, I know I'm going to do this shape, yep. these 26 shapes. And so like, I get to kind of fuck around in them Yeah, <laughs> mentally, yeah. not don't let the teacher know you're fucking around in them. Yes. <laughs> but that's, I mean, that's the whole thing with, um, uh, I do... I agree. Doing similar things, do you know, having some uh, kind of clear template of of what to do in practice is is really really helpful, and and mm-hmm. the repetition can be uh, certainly useful, especially when it comes to learning. Um, but I I uh, think probably from the beginning, um, especially when you look at things like Bikram and you look at how the modern um ashtanga vinyasa practice sort of came about um there there is kind of this overemphasis on the staging of postures one after the other having some sort of more magical effect than just the fact that you are moving and breathing and mm-hmm. taking your awareness into different parts of your body and like yeah of course you know, there are a series of poses that you can put back to back to, to towards a certain effect, but like, that's never going to be universal for everybody. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I don't know how we got to that. Well, we're just talking about body. (laughs) So, so, okay. So I'm curious. So you, you got injured, you started doing some Bikram, you moved to New York and then started doing some so, home yoga. And... So actually, so throughout at a certain point in undergrad, the heat at the Bikram studio, like I just had to figure mm-hmm. out it. So there were some really wonderful teachers at Moksha, um, which I believe is still there, at least one of their locations, um, who I think at the time had no earthly idea how to help me but at least we're nice enough to like, let me be in the back of the room and yeah. like try to figure it out. Right. Like <laughs> they at least have the sense to recognize that like, Oh, this person is trying to, it's trying. And like, let's just let them yeah, yeah, yeah. try. And uh, sweep the floors. And sweep the floors. <laughs> and that's yes, exactly. Um, uh, and then when I came home, I, um, after undergrad, I started working at, uh, the yoga studio there um, happened to be the yoga studio of that very first person that I took class with, mm-hmm. you know, when I was in high school and 
instead of having their own teacher training, they were like bringing Cindy and all of the mm, own right. teachers like to Cleveland to do the the teacher trainings. Um, and, uh, you know, took, you know, that was like, you know, we, uh, I feel like everybody has a time in their yoga where they're like, I'm going to do like two, three classes a day. I'm just going to mm-hmm. like do this as much as possible. And, and that was definitely like that phase. Mm-hmm. Um, and like feeling like really so excited that I was able to do stuff because I wasn't able to do so much stuff (laughs) at the beginning and then jumped into the, the teacher training. Um, and, uh, and then during the teacher training, got into grad school and moved up here and just sort of spiraled. (laughs) What I'm curious about is, so so then you, you know, you were working at Back Bay, you found Barbara, and it, it seemed like I was never at Back Bay. I never took classes there. It was kind of like before my yoga time. But um, it was kind of, was it not the heyday of hip hop yoga? And you were, and you were doing rolling around on the floor blanket yoga. You know? yeah. <laughs> like, so like, what was that like? And, and, you know, certainly, it seems like as a as a as a city, we've kind of transitioned away from, from the unst unst yoga not to say yeah. anything. And like, I'm just curious, having been in this, this field for a good chunk of time now, and you've kind of like grown up as a yoga teacher, like, you know, and you're like, where do you see it going? Where, where it's, what do you, <laughs> well, what's your predictions for, for yoga? <laughs> so, well, I just like want to acknowledge back, like back Bay was a really, I mean, any workplace has its, its, it's uh drama and certainly there was no shortage of that but like um not to say it was exclusively hip-hop yoga exactly but what what has always been interesting to me about the 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 piece that gets sort of left out of the hip-hop yoga discussion is that it it started as a class with like two people in it (laughs) and it was it was in direct response to everybody at the studio being really immersed into studying with on a forest which if you've Mm -hmm. ever experienced forest yoga is this like very like (gasps) intense and there is an overemphasis on trying to force cathartic experience and there's also a whole i mean you people can go and read down the rabbit hole uh or uh, go down the rabbit hole on this and, and find that there there's not um, like most uh, schools of yoga with a person at the a person holding the hierarchy from the top. There's some serious problems with that, mm-hmm. with that mm-hmm. community. Um, and at the same time, it was when I moved to Boston absent Barbara, it was the only class that I could go to that moved slow enough for me to figure out what, mm what I wanted to do. So anyways, the, everybody was so immersed into that. The yoga was so intense. Cause you basically had at back Bay, like at a time there was like Mysore and forest. <laughs> and I remember going first time visiting Boston and going to Lynn Saturday morning class and like Peter set up, right. Peter Crowley set up like <laughs> right next to me and was like, 
handstanding from like moment one. Like it, it was like the most we did like 40 minutes of abs and then like every arm balance and inversion known to mankind. It was an intense, wow. intense situation. And so my understanding of the beginnings of that, the hip hop yoga thing mm-hmm. um, was basically like Friday morning. Let's not take ourselves so seriously, put on some music and dance around a little bit. Yeah. Um, and now of course it became like a thing, right? Like mm-hmm. it, it became this very like, uh, ubiquitous thing on the schedule, but we were always, um, there always was, was conversations with Lynn at Back Bay being like, okay, how much of this do we really like, how do we balance this out? Gotcha. And, yeah, yeah. and we, we balanced it out by having all of that rolling around on the floor and having yeah. Barbara there once a month and having, um, uh, workshops with Judith Lassiter and like, you know, we, we did huge events every single month. And I think that was just the time, like we were able to pull that off. I don't think people can pull that off now. Yeah. Um, but it was really, um, especially towards the end. Um, I know that Lynn was feeling, uh, very burnt out, but, but in that last year or so, there was a like settling of the drama and like a nice crew of people, mm-hmm. um, um, there that, uh, uh, you know, I think we were all a little shocked when it was sold. I mean, it was understandable, but like, we were all a little shocked. Um, and, uh, and I think it did as good a job as it could of being a sort of multi-style, um, yoga studio, which is a hard thing. It's a hard thing to do. Were you Um, guys having conversations about cultural appropriation at that time or had it not really been on the map in that way? I don't, I don't think it really had been on the map in that way. I think, um, uh, I think there were the beginnings of the conversation of like, well, what does it mean to have a, you know, the, the phrase hip hop was being rather liberally applied Mm -hmm. um, to classes, mostly taught by white women Mm -hmm. um, with very little actual hip hop music that anyone could yeah, that's the irony. Yeah. <laughs> um, so there were the beginnings of the discussions about that. And, um, and, and I think during that time, you also saw, um, you saw the peak and the beginning of the decline, um, which I really do mark the beginning of the decline as the big Anyasara blow up. Mm-hmm. That, I, I, that really was like, a lot of people's bubbles got popped. <laughs> and, it's just, and I think it comes back to what you said earlier. It's like, if there is like the guru, you know, there, even if you don't call yourself the guru, but if you're like the person who founded the method, like you're a human and like humans fuck yep. shit up. And, <laughs> yep. and I think it's like so much of, of yoga is, is finding your brand unless you're like a devotee to your, Ashtanga or your Iyengar lineage, like so much of being a 20, 21st century yoga teacher is uh, 
coming up with like a shtick and like getting people to buy into it. <laughs> yeah. You know, so it's like, how do you not, how do you become yeah. a sex, sex, successful yoga teacher without being like the Ryan Cunningham yoga method? <laughs> Ryan, I think you've done that successfully in terms of not like branding yourself obnoxiously, but still having a genuine draw that comes back to the work. Well, thank you. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it, it's always a, um, I think the conversation of, of, um, who influenced you, which is, uh, something that, that my teacher talks about all the time is, is really essential in, um, you know, a sort of post lineage mm -hmm. space because you have to be able to like, people can rail all they want against Patabi Joyce, but like you're still making money indirectly off of a system. Yeah. Even still if you're just a vinyasa teacher, like there, right. there is some, yeah. up, dog, down, dog. you, you yeah. have some connection to that, that you have to be willing to, to grapple with. And, um, there were certainly elements of the, you know, and you can be influenced in a, uh, in both positive way and you can be influenced. Like, I'm not going to do it that way. Mm -hmm. I'm just not going to do it that way. There were a lot of elements of, of forest yoga that I appreciated, but most of it was like, okay, I'm not going to do it that way. <laughs> I see the effects of that and I'm not going to do it that way there. Um, uh, and, and so to be able to just have, it doesn't necessarily need to be a forward facing conversation all the time. Um, but the internal work of being like, okay, who, who influenced me? Who am I learning from? What, what am I, um, what am I actually practicing? Mm -hmm. um, and then you just share that. And like, the tricky thing is, is if you, the more that the kind of, well, the tricky thing is that everyone has to decide how much they're wanting to um, engage with the sort of broader yoga market space and there are a lot of things that are really tempting like let's just throw up a teacher training yeah and the thing that i tell teachers all the time is like that's not sustainable you, you can't do a 40 person teacher training every year and if you do you're going to spend more money each year trying to get those 40 people what if what if you run three 40 people three <laughs> well, it's just it's just i mean it's it, you can you can do it if there is a, um, you can do it. It's just, you're committing to that being your business, right? That's your business now is training yoga teachers. And that's not the business that I want to be in. I certainly want to help people who are teachers, but, and, and I'm happy to like mentor anyone who mm -hmm. wants help, but my experience of being mentored by other teachers um, is that the mentorship is actually around the practice, not so much around the teaching. Yeah. 
and certainly there is a space for me to go in and say like to Tom, like, Hey, this person came in and they're telling me that they've got X, Y, Z going on. I'm not really clear what that means. Mm -hmm. Can you help, help me understand? Um, And he might be able to help me out with that. I might, you know, have to go to someone else to to understand. Um, But there has to be, um, but I think most of the um, training Mm -hmm. that's needed is actually just time on your own mat and then time getting help from people who can help you. And I don't know... Um, I, I don't know that that, uh, the, the teacher training business really supports that. Yeah. And it's, it's not a, I mean, what you're suggesting is not a profitable model. No, it's not a profitable model. (laughs) And and it's, 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 it's not dissimilar from the anger model where like, I think they're getting rid of teacher training altogether and just focusing on practice and mentorship. Um, and, um, I think the Iron Gear method does a lot of things really well. And, and I don't think business is one of them. Like I think they do, <laughs> yeah. I think they do education really well, but I don't necessarily think they're like, I, yeah, I don't think anybody <laughs> in the Iron world would disagree with you. On that point. Um, but I, that's, I also have a lot of, um, it's taken me a long time to get to the point of feeling like. I like there are certain things, especially um, when I speak to people who are way more skilled than I am than website and marketing and all of that, where they're like, you should do this, 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 and this. And it's taken me a really long time to be able to be like, okay, I can do that with integrity. I can do this with yeah. integrity, but I'm just not going to do that. Right. I'm, I'm just not going to do it that not way. Yeah. Um, and I think that, that there are, that's that's different for everybody, right? Like, yeah, it, it is very different for everybody. I I know friends of mine who are like the you know membership model on my website for content. They're like that feels too yucky to them. They don't like that type of exchange doesn't make any sense to them, and that's they're they're putting their foot down on that, and that's totally fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there's um you know, one of the things that uh, is, I think, coming out of this COVID time is that we're going back to a directness of exchange mm-hmm. that I think is really missing. Um, the ability to, albeit in an online space, do what I did for seven years with Barbara, which is which was we walked into that tiny little studio on Harvard Street could maybe fit 19 people. And if there were even like 16 people, I would volunteer to practice in the hallway because it was more spacious. Um, and you just drop the 20 in the door, in the, in the bowl or whatever it was. And, yeah. and you, you learn something about yoga. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and that shifts whenever you go into a space where all of a sudden there are packages and there are, because yeah. the exchange isn't, isn't quite so, pure yeah yeah well, and then also it's it's creating you know 
when you have this this big third party that need you know being the studio that needs to support rent and managers and x y and z it's the teachers are then making less money having to do more work and like i just the pandemic has been so fantastic for me because it made me realize something that took me so long to realize it's like the only way to make a living in this work is working one-on-one with people um which i think i always knew but it's like it like i just you know i was always like a public yoga teacher teaching 10 12 15 20 classes a week and like i'm never going back to that you know maybe two three tops but like do you see yourself like do you my, Do you feel a similar shift this year or? or? So I, ha- I have, there was a brief moment when I moved to, when I was in grad school where I did teach something in the realm of like 15 mm-hmm. classes a, a week. It was probably closer to 17 if you kind of added up the like private clients and things like that. There was a, there was a brief moment in time. Um, yeah. There, that was a bad moment in time. Yeah. <laughs> We're not going back to Anonymous. that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think the uh for me it i don't really want to teach that much in the realm of public yeah. drop-in yoga classes um i uh want to be able to balance out between seeing clients over the course of the week for body work or yoga or just one-on-one mm-hmm. work. Cause I really think of all of that as the same work. It's just a matter of how, how I, how we choose to engage in, mm-hmm. in each session um, uh, to maybe three classes a week and then some longer form uh, programming, whether that's longer form or over the course of the year or like mm-hmm. the the weekend retreats that Fez and I do um, like that would be kind of ideal. But I also, I think the shift for me during the pandemic has been like, okay, don't go to how can I teach enough to make a living because that'll drive you. That'll drive you crazy. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, that'll drive. I mean, me I used crazy. I used to make forty dollars a class at Core Power. I taught like twenty five yeah. classes a week. It was not good. Um, it's more that I have to think. Okay, what is it that I what is it that I want to be teaching? What's you know pessimistic, optimistic possibility of of what I could make doing what I want. And then like, just fill in the rest with what, whatever else I can do. Um, So I'm not, I'm not feeling so much, which I think was always the case uh, when I had my own studio at Bow Street. uh, I always felt like I had to step on the gas pedal because I was never bringing in enough revenue. And it wasn't necessarily stuff that I wanted to be doing it was just Mm. stuff i had to be doing because that was that was 10 grand before i got a penny each Mm -hmm. month yeah um between payroll and rent and all of the things right like that was that was a lot um and and so i can you know i i think 
one thing that I'm like really grateful for all the experiences that I've, that I've had in the yoga industry is that I can see it from many, many, many different angles. I can, yeah. I can understand what it means to be a studio owner. I can understand what it means to be a, a teacher. I can understand what it means to be, um, um, on management. Like I, I have all of those experiences and, um, I, I think w- what I hope comes out of this is that teachers see that they can be relatively independent. Mm-hmm. And in that independence, there starts to be an understanding of like, okay, some of the things that we need, we all need. So can we be cooperative in that sense? And so at some point we're all going to need space again. Yeah. At some Hopefully point. sooner than later. <laughs> Hopefully sooner than later. So like if everybody gets their own stuff in order, meaning like that they have a, a business and they have all of the infrastructure of a business and then they have, all, then there can start to be these conversations where everyone feels like they're on an even footing being like, okay, so, um, I found this space. It's in the basement of a church. <laughs> this, this is how much it's going to cost us to block out these times. Let's... It's like a full 360. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes. Um, and, and then from that point of view, clear agreements can be made. And that's the thing that has never, that I've, I um, was not necessarily good at at back bay or at um at any of the jobs that i've had um was really insisting that the agreements were clear and that doesn't necessarily mean agree like clear from a let's all write it down in a contract because actually i think Mm -hmm. my non-contractual agreements with lynn at back bay were some of the more clear and respected agreements that that I've had in this business. Um, and, uh, the, um, the, the tricky thing about those agreements is when they're being made, when folks are not at equal, equal footings. Yeah. That's the tricky thing about those agreements is that it, it's, it's gotta be, there has to be mutuality there. And, um, that is not something, um, you know, if I'm going to, if I'm going to cooperate with another person, with another business, and the business is fundamentally about yoga, then there has to be a mutuality of care to engage in that relationship. Otherwise, I'm just not going to trust it. And so that takes time. And so if everybody takes the time to be like, okay, what, what am I, what am I comfortable teaching? I took a month off and then I was like, okay, how many, how many classes do I want to teach now? I want to teach one right now. I want to teach one asana class and one meditation class. That's it. Yeah. And so I do that. And then as that unfolds, I'll be like, okay, how does this feel? And it just gives me a, what is this is giving me a chance to do is just reset. Um, Because so much of the past year has just been about like knee jerk response to fear 
I have to close my yoga studio. Fuck, what am I going to do next? Okay, here's this thing. Now I'm going to do this. Okay, pandemic hits. No more body work. What am I going to do next? Oh, I'll take on this other position. Which happened in a split second without clear agreement, without like... Yeah. It just... it it was an understandable reaction of how can I get through this time? And it took me a good six months to, to realize that, um, oh, wow, this is, uh, this, this all was in response to not only a fear, but a feeling that I had failed yeah. at Bow Street. Um, and, um, and then, you know, uh, the realization that like, oh, I could just do something else. Yeah. I and, could but, just do something else. But not do something else like Novel concept. become an accountant. Do something else like I've invested years and so much money into this training that in uh, into study that of something you're so incredible at. But, but like do something else that's in that line. You know I had but I had to I had to actually get to the like do something like I it, starting in early January, I was like, I'm just going to apply to real jobs mm. and see if I can see if I can get something. And then um, had some interesting experiences in interview pr- processes where I was like, okay, maybe this is not the right idea. And these were interesting experiences, both in like non yoga world, but also in, in yoga. yoga meditation yeah. world where I had to be like, okay, I don't really know that I want to put myself into this position. Um, and then um, I, <clears throat> and then I just kind of had the realization of like, whoa, let's, let's just, let's just pause for a second. I already had the space for body work ready to go. The, I had always done work on the side for patient moon wellness marketing, mm-hmm. which is the same company that Kate works for. Uh-huh. Um, I did get a part-time managing gig that I not going to talk about just yet. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and now adding classes back in, it's just like, oh, I can just scrounge this all together. And in many ways, it just it just feels like such feels like such a relief um, to not have to um, uh... sell your soul to the devil. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I was I was gonna say it's it's. Um, it's very hard for me to work at any place that doesn't, especially if we're, again, if we're going to talk about like businesses that are, are, are about yoga, it is very hard for me to engage when I feel that it is not revolving around practice. Yeah. And, um, and the, you know, the only way that I can 
seem to be able to do that is by doing it on my own. Now, that's flawed mm-hmm. logic. No, but <laughs> I, I hope think that it's really that... beautiful. And I think you spoke already to like running a yoga studio is just like unless you own the building, like it's it's not ever going to be an easy business yeah. to be in. And yeah. you know, I, I think you you kind of alluded to this too. Like I hope down the road when things are more open, like a group of us can come together and share a space and like have some kind of cooperative model. Cause I think yes. that's the only way that it works. Yeah. Um, or no, that I it mean, works in a way that makes me feel comfortable at this yeah. point in my career. I mean, and Hey, like cooperatives are messy too. Like it, yeah. it, it's always, it's always, there's always a, a trade-off. Um, uh, and I just think um, that, one of the things that I, that I hope doesn't happen is that everyone just goes back to normal. Cause like, it's not like any of these models that we were operating and were working like it, even before Bow Street, I didn't know a single studio that lasted without significant change to the structure of the business as a, like a owner run and operated Mm -hmm. studio for more than 15 years. Like that seemed to be the like cap. Now, whether that was a cap because real estate would get, would outpace what the business can do or whether it was a cap of the owner just being like, I'm good. (laughs) (laughs) I'm done now. Um, Time to uh, get that sheep farm. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, I, it, it was different for everybody, but um, I, I would imagine that in most cases it was some combination of both, yeah. right? Like the real estate plus burnout equals got to close the studio or got to pass we're the studio on like, to someone else. We're also in a city that is so fucking expensive. Like to live, yeah. to own a business, it's just ridiculous. Like maybe this model could work, you know, could work in like Ohio, yeah. you know. <laughs> but even in Ohio where I'm from, it's still not, yeah. I mean, you, you, a, you get, you gotta be in a very sort of, uh, B or C market <laughs> as they, yeah. as they might say to, to really have it be, um, feasible. But I think, you know, people are opening up studios again. Um, and everybody I know that's opening up a studio again, I'm just like, I wish you all the best of luck. Just do it differently. <laughs> Just yeah. to, you, you like have the opportunity to fix it. Like just think of every shitty thing that's ever happened to you working for someone else's studio and just, yeah. just contemplate those every day. And then how am I going to, how am I going to fix that? How am I going to solve for that? Um, and, uh, and, and also like, this is the, I don't want to say it was a mistake, but the thing that Lynn told me when I took over, Street was because this had already been in existence for a while mm-hmm. when you know I, I took it over from Teresa um, and she was like shut it down for a month give it a new name start from scratch and, and you I did was not follow that advice terrified <laughs> to do that because I didn't want to piss off the people I didn't want to piss off the teachers I didn't want and and also I didn't I didn't know what I wanted. Mm, yeah. Yet. 
And so all of that made it this like, okay, I'll change things like gradually. And, and, and I, and I do think had I just been like, nope, this is what we're doing now that it actually would have been um, hard reset. Yeah. And by the time I knew what I wanted, I was too much in debt to like take the risk of, of doing it. So and hindsight's twenty twenty. Like if you yeah. shut it down for a month and, and rebranded it, it felt really authentically you and it was more successful. Like, could you still have made it through this pandemic? Like, no. no. Well, I don't know. <laughs> I still, in the back of my mind, I'm like, I would have been the first person on that Zoom. Because we've been using yes. Zoom at Patient Moon for like decades. <laughs> no one had ever heard of it. Vax has been using yeah. that for years. And I would have been, I know I would have been the very first person. <laughs> up and running <laughs> we would have still had to deal with the crazy kids running around upstairs and like yeah, it yeah. would have been the most pristine online experience but we would have had it we would have done it <laughs> it's just it's i think your insight is so interesting like you've just been in it for so long and you've like you said you've seen it from all angles so it's it's i think you know the silver lining of this is it's like there's just when everything just gets totally fucked, you have to start from scratch. And so many of us have, and so many of us who have been intricately entwined in studios for our entire careers are now like single entities. And it's, uh, mm-hmm. it'll be really interesting to see what happens. <laughs> yes. And it'll be also be really interesting to see um, what happens just in terms of how people uh, interact with, with classes Um, I, you know, I think, you know, I said this on Unrolled maybe last week, but anybody who I hear say with a hundred percent certainty that like, nobody's going to be online in six months, everyone's going to be back in the studio or no one's ever going back to the studio. It's all going to be online. Focus on like run away from both of those those humans it's, because it's it, it's gonna it, be the bolts it's it's gonna be both and it, yeah. it, there's there's going to be a certain subset of people you know and it, it's it's so logical to me like if you're if you love heated flow you're you gonna build be, a in your house <laughs> you're, gonna be back, you're gonna be back in a studio like yeah. so much of that like you're gonna go back to a studio as soon as you're allowed to be back into a studio with with no mask on like Oh, they're coming back with masks on. Yeah, exactly. Um, which is like makes me cringe, but like this, people people are doing it. Um, yeah. And and if you're practicing Iyengar yoga and you've got your halasana bench and your your three bolsters and your chair, like, and you've got that all set up at home already. I see you with your eight blocks and your two yeah. chairs back yeah. there, Ryan. um you know that interaction or or even if you're practicing just like in a you know some sort of iangar adjacent method um there might be more of a situation of like well week to week i really just want to practice at home but like once a month to come back into a space and like do a day Mm -hmm. of practice sounds really intriguing um and then there are going to be people who are like i am never going to a studio ever again studios may be really uncomfortable they make me uh 
you know, it's been the fact that yoga has been online has been the only way that I've been able to engage with it because it was too traumatizing to to engage with it otherwise. And There's going to be in everybody in between. Yeah, yeah. Like I was teaching a ton of myofascial release classes, like rolling around on the floor and tennis balls. And it's very, very intimate. And people love doing that from home because you make weird noises. <laughs> like you're like, oh, right. you know, like, <laughs> um, and, yeah. you know, I don't think people want to be in a room of 30 other people, like kind of like putting themselves in weird positions and yeah. groaning, you know, like it's, it's, yeah. it's a great thing to do on zoom. Yeah, no, I think so. I think so. Um, I think, I think it's sort of sky's the limit. It's just yeah. the thing that's going to really, truly, and I, I've said this to consulting clients, I've said this to everyone, that the, really, I think the key here is to not try to be everything to everybody. I think mm -hmm. the key is like... Niche down. Do yeah. what you that's want to do. <laughs> and then, you know... Uh, make that work to whatever way you can make that work. And then it's hard to make a full-time living. So, you know, if you got to go do something else, then go do something else for a while. I don't know of any well-known yoga teacher who's been at this for decades, who didn't have to have a significant side hustle at some point yeah. to make it, make it work. Um, yeah. I'm so glad I went to massage school. Both <laughs> <laughs> like, of you. Yes. Yeah. And the, you know, the, I think the other thing that came out of this was also like, I just, I dropped the word massage from anything that I'm, anything yeah. that I'm doing now. Cause I just, um, didn't, uh, you know, it was like long conversations with my teacher about this and it basically just came down to, this is what people understand as massage and you either have to constantly deal with explaining yourself in those situations, or you can just define what you're doing separately and, and be, uh, allow people to be aware that you have gone through the process of credentialing through the state and, and, you know, leave it at that, leave it at that. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's beautiful, and I'm so excited to get work from you. Oh, yeah, you're coming this Wednesday. I'm coming yeah, on Wednesday. Okay. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I, I just, I, I think there's there's so much that's going to that's gonna change in the next, in, you know, throughout the rest of 2021 for, for folks. And, um, uh, and, I do think there's the opportunity to for the yoga world to change pretty significantly. And then there's also the potential for everything just snapping back to where it was in 2020, um, January of 2020. And, and I will just, we'll have to see what, what unfolds, but, but my hope is that, is that uh, things begin to, my hope is that things begin to shift, whether that's in, in any number of ways, both in terms of how people are, relating to yoga in terms of what's going on in classrooms, in terms of what's going on online, in terms of what's going on for uh, teachers who choose to work at studios, teachers who choose not to work at studio, like all of it, mm -hmm. I think um, could use some serious reexamining. And, and, you know, I'm also sympathetic to the fact that that takes a lot of time 
and a lot of patience to have those conversations. And when you're in the midst of running a business, sometimes it's hard to hit the pause button. Um, uh, because you got to worry about everything you got to worry about. Right. You know? Um, so, yeah. How have you been sort of keeping your sanity through all of this? Has it been through yoga and meditation or is there anything else? Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, so it's, it's certainly been yoga and meditation, but it's, it's, uh, I, I am way more, um, word I'm looking for. I I think before the pandemic, I had this idea in my head that I needed to keep up this very kind of formal practice in which I do a certain number of things every morning. And I still, for the most part, do that. Um, But there's... um, I, I feel like there's a lot more permission to kind of blur those lines a little bit between what is what I used to very clearly consider formal practice and informal, um, you know, informal practice, I guess. Uh, And so if I sit in the morning and I finish sitting and traditionally that would be the point at which I would get up and roll out my mat and do asana, but I'm like, I just want to go for a walk. Mm-hmm. Or I need just need to get out of the house. Or actually, I feel like I want to finish this project, which now that I'm working for myself doesn't feel so like icky because it's just like, oh, I want to work on this now. So I will go and work on this now. Mm-hmm. Um, How liberating. <laughs> uh, and um, and then just trust that I'll come back and do it, do it later. Um, and, and I think that's been... Um, and, you know, I always say this to folks in, in meditation classes that, like, sometimes it's not the right time to meditate. Yeah. So you don't meditate and you go do something else. <laughs> and I think what you just spoke to is, like, the, the joy I've been experiencing this year and especially when I'm not beholden to anybody else besides, like, showing up at a certain time to work with clients, which is my work. But it just, you know, there are days when you want to go for a walk and there's days you want to do down dog for five minutes, you know, and, and that's like truly being embodied is not feeling like I need to do 90 minutes of asana every morning to be a yoga teacher. But it's like, no, I need to listen to what my body needs day to day, moment to moment. Yeah. And that's and that only um, that process gets easier, the less I teach group classes. That's interesting. Because it's it there doesn't have to be as much background noise of like what am I going to teach this week? It really, and that's more than the it it's it's less that I can't teach ten classes a week because I totally could, Mm -hmm. and more that then my practice suffers not because I'm not doing it but because I'm so engaged in in the sort of mental uh, aspect of like, okay, well, I've got to teach later. So let me make sure that I like have what I'm going to teach sort of like fresh in my body so that I'm able to describe it better. Um, And, 
when I'm only doing that once a week, yeah, it's just like, I know it's very clear on Tuesday when I go to practice that there is some part of my mind that's occupied by the fact that I'm teaching a class that night. Um, but on other days there isn't. And yeah. so the practice gets way more interesting because it doesn't have to fit into any sort of a box. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I had a lot of coffee, if you can tell. <laughs> I, I don't think I had enough. Well, I, um, <laughs> me too. Um, and what's anything, you know, you've spoke a lot to like just that kind of moment to moment embodiment and just kind of figure out what you need, but anything that's inspiring you at the moment, it could be movement related or otherwise, anything that you're like really excited about. Anything that I'm really excited about. Um, I mean, I've like, I'm just very excited to, to fucking see people. Like, yeah. you know, like in the, both like in the context of people Say that coming, again. Yes. coming to see, see me at, um, at my office, but like also just to like hang out with folks again is yeah. really, um, it just, it, you know, it, it that that co-regulation missing for so long and it doesn't happen the same way over zoom. It, mm-hmm. it just, it really doesn't. Um, it feels so um, refreshing. And certainly I'm going to get back to a point where I'm like, oh, I don't want to hang out with anybody today. I just want to like, <laughs> like certainly, but I'm not there yet right now. I'm like, yes, let's go do things. Let's go hang out. Let's go. <laughs> I've been back to seeing clients in person for like six, seven months now. And I'm very much like, oh, no, I can't now socialize. <laughs> Not be yeah, expected yeah. to then make more conversation with people. Yeah. Um, so I'll get back there for sure. Yeah. But um, I'm excited about that. I'm excited. I, I, I don't know when. I'm excited for the eventual moment where I get to be with my teacher in person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which uh, particularly because he's one of the few people that I actually trust his hands enough to like get in yeah. there and do some get some, some work. work. Um, but uh, uh, I've been really grateful to meet with him every week still over mm-hmm. the pandemic and and um, keep up the conversation. But uh, I think the thing that is is really kind of um, the most exciting is I I had like when we shut down. I had just completed my license the September before and like was just starting to get a like groove going. And then both in terms of seeing clients and in terms of working, like learning from Tom, like figuring out how, how to, how to actually uh, learn this component of um, what for a lack of a better term would just be manual yoga therapy. Um, and, uh, and then it was just like, Oh, can't meet anymore. Sorry. <laughs> Shut it down. <laughs> Shut it down. Um, so it feels like I very much kind of, a lot has happened, but in some ways it feels like I'm just picking up where I yeah 
left off and like this whole year is what just a, gonna what be a, fucking year. a weird yeah. pause button that like a bunch of shit happened and now now we're moving on <laughs> yeah oh so i'm so happy for yeah. you, <laughs> thank what you a, what a great place to be in and just like to put all of your skill in action for yourself yeah yeah, that's a beautiful place to be at. Yeah. Um, sorry. That's and I'm uh, I'm gonna come in and, and see you on Wednesday. Yeah, oh. that's gonna be great. <laughs> well, where can folks find you, Ryan? Um, so RyanYoga.com is my website. Way uh, to snag that. I know. Seriously. Uh, um and. Uh, practicespace.yoga is the site that ha- houses all of the online content. Um, I, depending on when this gets released, uh, it may be fully functional. It may be in some sort of nether, nether um, state, but uh, that'll be a place where folks can um, uh, listen to audio classes and, um, and uh, get access to various kinds of practice resources. Um, uh, and of course you can link uh, the, this is a very clear access point from, from my own website. And, um, and we'll be... link in the show notes. Yes. That's like something we say now. That yes, we a podcast. indeed. <laughs> and then sometimes you actually get to doing the show notes and other times I just forget to do them entirely. <laughs> um, and... and if so, there's always Google. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, but yeah, mostly it's just uh, ryanyoga.com. Um, and I will say that then that uh, I am also the managing director of the Boston Meditation Center, um, which is an insight meditation center um, in uh, with a beautiful new space in Union Square. Oh, my God. Um, That's so exciting. So exciting. And uh, so I will be helping them to uh, get up and up and running. um, And uh, yeah, and it's it's a great uh, organization. Um, and I'm, I'm really, uh, you know, another place that, um, is, is really primarily focused on, on supporting folks practicing. So, yeah. um, it's uh, called the Boston, Boston meditation center. Um, is that a new organization? Uh, no, it, they've been around for a while, actually. They used to do Thursday night classes, um, out of karma yoga in Harvard square. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. and this space was supposed to open like May of last year. Mm. So, you know, it's, it's just a yeah. delayed beginning. Delayed where you, beginning. Where in Union are they? Uh, it's going to be right behind B in Union. Same building. But the B in Union is now next to Market Basket, not over Block 11. Correct. Yes. Okay. I've, yeah. It's been a long time since I've met a summer million. <laughs> Um, yeah, so it's it's in the same same building that B and Union is in, right next oh. to the right next to the Market Basket. Um, and uh, I don't know, we don't have a clear timeline for for like having people in the space yet. Yeah. Uh, but our hope is for like a fall, um, like you know. Big will opening. you be Will you be teaching classes there as well? Um, unclear. Uh, I just started like four weeks ago. So mostly I'm just trying to like, you know, 
get their get payroll their up and running, yeah. you know, yeah. get, get, the, <laughs> get, get my bearing. So, you know, there, there obviously will be, will be, um, discussion of that further, but, uh, it's a beautiful space. Uh, the, um, people there are really, um, really nice. And I hope that it's, um, there has not been a really kind of, um, welcoming, um, Buddhist meditation center in, in Boston. Um, and I, I have high hopes that, uh, this one might, might prove to, to move in that direction. <laughs> let's, uh, let's put it that way. That's um, really exciting. That's hopeful. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I think that's everything. That's, <laughs> that's a lot of really exciting a things. Lot, a lot. Thank you so much, Ryan. Thank you. Thank you of for course. taking Thank you both. some time to talk to us on this rainy Sunday. Is it Sunday? Yeah. Is it rainy? Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't Definitely know what's Sunday. happening. Um. <laughs> I will be going outside to take out my trash and that is it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, oh. uh, yeah. Uh, anything else? I don't know. No. Cool. <laughs> Thanks, Ryan. Um, this was a joy. Yeah. It was great to talk to you both. Thanks for joining us in Conversation and a Movement. I'm Danielle. And I'm Helen. We'll catch you next time. Interested in supporting Emotional Intelligence Podcast? You can check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash emotional intelligence. I think that was a little loud. I don't think you need to lean into the mic. <laughs> <laughs> <It> was- <laughs>